Let's pray. Lord, thank you for this body, this congregation of dedicated believers. Lord, I pray that uh, the preaching of your word would stir us up to love you more. God, to strive by the strength of your spirit. I pray that the preaching of your word convicts hearts. Lord, that it stirs us up to more and more intimate uh, relationship with you. So that, Lord, we can fulfill the grand purpose of this body. In Jesus' name, amen. I pondered what to preach. Uh, I got asked to preach a couple weeks ago, and, you know, I'm away from you guys, and I, you know, sometimes you think, well, man, I, I don't even know what's going on back in Laramie. How would I know if it applies? And so I decided I need to preach on what the, what the Lord really has been stirring in me the last, uh, really the last few months since I've been away. Um, you know, we're seeing a lot more... Um, talk against the church, and sometimes we get intimidated by um, some things that politicians are saying or some laws that are being passed, and we think, wow, you know, man, this place is really going downhill. Are we going to experience some suffering? Uh, Should we be preparing for that? What I want to do this morning is I want to highlight four fundamentals of the church, and I hope that these fundamentals are going to be something that encourage All of us, these four fundamentals, I'll state them in questions, and we'll go through each one and the implications of of each. But those four are, who builds the church? What is it composed of? How does it function? And what is its grand purpose? In America, it's estimated that there's probably about 320,000 churches. That's a lot. And the reason I want to preach on this this morning is a a great misunderstanding as to these four concepts of the church. And as I give the answers to these, you're going to be like, duh, right? They're not going to be deep, deep theological things. They're going to be very basic. But the implications I found are pretty deep. America has sort of fashioned this God. It's It's a God that sort of accepts all people, you know. You know what I'm talking about. Um, It's politically correct. It is, um, you know, it doesn't allow people to speak truth or say anything really is truth. And so, as the church, we've got to be sort of enforced. What exactly do we do? And the reason that's important is because it's being lost. The philosophies of this world have slipped into many places that have church on the door but they are not a church. Now, this is a church. And so we're going to continue to uphold the truth of God's word here. We're going to continue to to motivate each other, to spur each other on to good works, to the glory of God. Before I get going, I want to remind us sort of the, the power that we're talking about, the God, the builder of this church, what he intends for us to understand about it. I was just been going through the scripture and I'm coming through Isaiah and I was particularly just thrilled with this passage. It's from Isaiah 44. It says, thus says the Lord, starting in verse 6, thus says the Lord, the King of Israel and his Redeemer, the Lord of hosts, I am the first and I am the last. 
Besides me, there is no God. Who is like me? Let him proclaim it. Let him declare and set it before me. Since I appointed an ancient people, let them declare what is to come and what will happen. Fear not, nor be afraid. Have I told you from of old and declared it? And you are my witnesses. Is there a God besides me? There is no rock. I know not any. The church is built by Jesus Christ. Now, I'm going to be going through a lot of different passages. So if you have a pen, maybe you can write them down if you want to review them later. But I'm going to read each of these passages. And then we're going to talk about the implications of this truth. The church is built by Jesus Christ. Matthew 16, 18 through 19. Jesus says to Peter, You are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven, and whatever you bind on earth shall be bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. Colossians 1:18. And he, Jesus, is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in everything he might be preeminent. In Acts 9, 31. So the church throughout all Judea and Galilee and Samaria had peace and was being built up. And walking in the fear of the Lord and the comfort of the Holy Spirit, it multiplied. In Acts 20, 28. Pay, pay cl- careful attention to yourselves and to all the flock in which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers to care for the church, which he obtained with his own blood. 1 Corinthians 3, starting in verse 16. Do you not know that you are God's temple and that God's spirit dwells in you? If anyone destroys God's temple, God will destroy him, for God's temple is holy, and you are that temple. Ephesians 4, starting in verse 11. And he gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds, and teachers to equip the saints for the work of ministry, for building up the body of Christ, until we attain to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God, to mature manhood, to the measure and the stature of the fullness of Christ. The implications that Jesus is the builder of the church are that, number one, it is immovable. It's immovable. Jesus says in the Great Commission that all authority has been given to him in heaven and earth. All authority has been given to him, and this is his manifestation on earth. It's the church of Jesus Christ. That gives us great confidence. It gives us confidence in a person, the person of Jesus Christ, not in a special evangelist or a particular preacher or or in a certain seminary. That's not where our hope lies. It's not... It doesn't lie on my, um, even my, my, my memorization of scripture. It lies wholeheartedly, and all those things stream from that, on a dependence on Jesus Christ, a confidence that it is his church. And so that is the conviction of the elders of this church that we follow him. That's all. That's all we're doing. We're just following the king of kings. A lot of people, I've, you've probably heard this before too, but I hear this a lot. They say, I get talking to them, I'm in the barber school in Utah, and they'll say, well, you know, they find I'm a pastor. Well, you know, I, I, I believe in God, but I really don't believe in organized religion. I'm not a, I don't like organized religion. I say, well, organized religion can be a bad thing. It just depends on who's organizing it, right? If Jesus organizes it, that's something that you really ought to be on board. 
for. And so that's what we strive for. It's not in a seminary, it's not in conventions, it's not in programs, it's in Jesus. The church is not plan B or C or D or Z. Jesus is the alpha and the omega, the beginning and the end, the first and the last. And if this is his church, this is the only plan. This is it. Now, seminaries are amazing. Conferences are encouraging. They are. Shepherd Seminary has a great slogan. They say, seminaries don't plant churches. Churches plant seminaries. I love that. I love that. What a great focus. Jesus makes this a pretty big deal. In John 17, when Jesus prays the high priestly prayer, starting in verse 12, he says, I am no longer in the world, but they are in the world. And I am coming to you, Holy Father, keep them in your name, which you have given me, that they may be one, even as we are one. But now I am coming to you, and these things I speak to the world, that they may have my joy fulfilled in themselves. I am giving them your word, and the world has hated them, because they are not of the world, just as I am not of the world. As you sent me into the world, so I have sent them into the world. And for their sake I consecrate myself, that they may also may be sanctified in truth. So the same ministry that Jesus obeyed God to do on this earth, he gives to us. Verse 20, I do not ask for these only, but also for those who will believe in me through their word, that they may all be one, just as you, Father, are in me and I in you, that they may also be in us, so that the world may believe that you have sent me. The glory that you have given me, I have given to them, that they may be one, even as we are one. I in them, and you in me that they may become perfectly one so that the world may know that you sent me and loved them even as you love me. Jesus prayed that his church would authenticate his ministry. That's pretty amazing. If you really sit and meditate on that, that seems ridiculous. I look at my own frailty and my own sin and you can do the same and we think, well, you're gonna get us all together and now somehow that's gonna Prove to the world that Jesus did what he did on the cross? Yes. Yeah, that's right. That's what it's going to do. How? Because Jesus prayed for it, and because God is going to be the one who's the author and the finisher of our faith. So much so that Jesus says when he builds his church that not even hell, not even hell would be able to keep us out. That's offensive. That's offensive. That's not defensive. That's not, ooh, maybe we ought to listen to the latest psychologist and maybe we ought to take a poll on unbelievers and ask them, you know, what, how would the church be more, you know, inviting to you? You know, get more people in here so that we can have a successful ministry. That's ridiculous. We follow Jesus and Jesus alone. We leave the results up to God. It's a wonderful and powerful privilege So our confidence is in the king of kings. We can have confidence in the church, not because of the leadership, but because the leadership follows Jesus. Number two, what is the church composed of? The church is composed of born-again believers. That's it. Born-again believers. In Acts 2, 42-47 Luke says, and they devoted themselves, this is the early church, to the apostles, 
teaching and fellowship, to the breaking of bread and the prayers, and awe came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. And all who believed were together, and had all things in common, and they were selling their possessions and belongings, distributing proceeds to all as they had need, and day by day, attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with gladness and generous hearts, praising God and having favor with all people. And the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. The Lord added to their number. In Acts 14, 23, it says, And when they had appointed elders from, for, uh, for them in every church with prayer and fasting, they committed them to the Lord in whom they had believed. 1 Corinthians 1, verse 1. Paul, called by the will of God to be an apostle of Christ Jesus to our brother, Sosthenes, to the church of God that is in Corinth, and to those sanctified in Christ Jesus, called to be saints, together with all those who in every place call upon the name of the Lord, Jesus Christ, both their Lord and ours. Now, the congregation has always been a mixed group. We can't prevent that. We don't want to prevent that. We invite unbelievers to come into our congregation, hear the word of God. And Jesus even said, hey, don't try to pull out the tares, right, among the wheat. Why? Because that's something the angels are going to do at the end um, of the church age when judgment comes. In Matthew 13, 49, he put it this way. So it will be at the close of the age, the angels will come out and separate the evil from the righteous and throw them into the fiery furnace in that place where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. In 1 John, a lot of the purpose of 1 John was to give to the assembly of the people that were meeting together, called the church, and give them implications as to how you would know if you were the child of the devil and if you were a child of the Lord. So the congregation has always been a mixed bag of believers and unbelievers. In Hebrews, oh, I'm sorry. Well, yeah, Hebrews 12, 22 and 23, it says, But you have come to Mount Zion, and to the city of the living God, the heavenly Jerusalem, and to the innumerable angels in festal gathering, and to the assembly of the firstborn who are enrolled in heaven, and to God, the judge of all, and to the spirits of the, of the righteous made perfect. The reason we have a membership class, we, this church has a membership. I had somebody come to me one time and said, well, I don't really believe in membership. And I said, well, you really should. And he said, well, I don't. I said, well, you should. He said, why? I said, because it exists. You know, he was a little confused. He kind of, you know, didn't really know. I'm kind of crazy when I talk to people like that. They take me too seriously. If you don't know me, you just think I'm crazy, which is okay. But he, he was a little confused by that. Why do we have membership? Why don't we just allow anybody and all people to come on in and assume positions in our church, come on up here and play in the worship team, lead a Bible study, right? Carry on as usual and case law. Well, because the elders of this church, and this church, ever since we've had membership, which I think has been always, that the membership at LVC, that the elders take special care as far as we can do. We're not perfect, but as far as we can do, we don't allow someone to become a member of this church unless we're certain that they have saving faith in Jesus Christ. Now, we can't know that 100%, but it's our duty to do that. We want the role in heaven to match the role at LVC because membership in the kingdom and membership of the church, the membership of the church ought to be a representation 
of membership in the kingdom. That has a big implication. The implication of that is that the world isn't going to like it. They're going to say, well, how come you don't accept me as I am? Because Jesus doesn't accept you as you are. Jesus accepts you as a sinner who cries out to him for salvation. That's how Jesus accepts you. He, God accepts you only with a righteous record of Jesus Christ. That's the only reason, the only way he accepts you. And in this church, we want to advocate that. Now, if you're an unbeliever and you're coming to this church, you're like, well, I guess I won't come back. No, we want you here. We want you to sit under the teaching of the word of God to continue to learn. Why? Because one day, if you're seeking the Lord, you're going to find him. You're going to be convicted that your soul is in a terrible state, that you have a sick heart that needs to be saved, and you're going to cry out to him. So we always, always love when unbelievers come to our assembly. But our assembly is not built around unbelievers. It's built around the king of kings. We come to worship him. We come to lift him up in praise in our general assembly. Number three, the church functions as an organism. How does the church function? It functions as an organism, not as an organization. An organism, not an organization. You guys ever heard the poem when you were a little kid? Here's the church, here's the steeple, open the doors. Oh, no. Here's the church, here's the steeple, open the doors, and here's all the people, right? That's about as deep as a lot of people get in their ecclesiology, their understanding of the church. They understand what we do here. This is it. This is the church, right? This is all the church does. We show up, we, we sing some songs, a guy gets up there and reads from the Bible, makes me feel bad, and I go home and try to forget it, right? <laughs> Unfortunately, that actually is by and large, the major understanding. And if that's your understanding of the church, please stay. Don't, don't leave. Come stay. Come get involved in a small group. Come learn about these wonderful people. The average opinion of the church, if you ask most churchmen, people who go to church, is say, well, what, what, tell me about your church. What do they say? Well, Preacher's good, he's funny, he tells funny stories. I feel like a better person when I leave. The worship band's pretty good, they sing some pretty trendy songs, pretty good. It's, it's, it's got a lot of people that go, you know. That's, that's it, that, that's sort of the response you get. I don't want that to be a response of people who go to church here. But that's a popular response. That's your understanding, please, please stay. Please learn what an organism is. In Romans 12, starting in verse 4, Paul says, For as in one body we have many members, and the members do not all have the same function, so we, though many, are, in, are one body in Christ, and individually members of one another, having gifts that differ according to the grace given to us. Let us use them, if prophecy in proportion to our faith, if service, then in serving, the one who teaches in his teaching, the one who exhorts in his exhortation, the one who contributes in generosity, the one who leads with zeal, the one who does acts of mercy with cheerfulness. In 1 Corinthians chapter 12, he says, starting in verse 12, for just as the body is one and has many members, and all the members of the body, though many are one body, so it is with Christ. For in one spirit, we were all baptized into one body, Jews and Greeks, slaves or free, we are all 
we all were made to drink of one spirit. In Ephesians 1, 22, he says, And he put all things under his feet and gave him as head over all things the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills all in all. Many of us need to learn the implications of the church being an organism, not an organization. I studied kinesiology at UW, which I always tell people is pretty much just a degree in gym, you know. Amen, Seth. So the, uh, but, but what I did learn, I really enjoyed about that degree was I learned a lot about the most wonderful of all God's creations. It's not the T-Rex. It's not the blue whale. It is man. You know, there are millions of proteins in your body right now building other proteins. Your, your cells replicate your genes at about a thousand codes a second. All that's happening. There's 11 major systems in your body, and all of them are supported by these subordinate systems that all uphold it. And if one of those little tiny subordinate systems goes awry, we call that a disease. If one of your 11 um, functions of your body quits, you're dead. All of, the, of those, or those little subordinate and elemental processes that go on in your body happen without you even knowing it's happening. All you're required to do is fill it and empty it. That's it. But all these things sort of happen all the time, and you're not even thinking about it, right? Well, we think about Jesus, Paul saying, you know, the church is the body of Christ. It made me think about all those, or, those, those, those processes that happen in, in the body. You know, your nerves don't get Saturday off. Your heart doesn't take a union break, right? It doesn't happen. All of, your, all of the body systems happen all the time, all the time, and they never quit. Why do they do that? Well, they're supporting the body. Well, why do they do that? Because that's why they were made. You see? Why were you made? You. You, if you're, if you're a believer, you see the implications of that? Your whole central purpose in life is to pour into this body of Jesus Christ. It's to pour in. You know, we have this thing in this church. You know, I don't know if you've ever heard about it. Small groups. I think we mention it probably every Sunday, maybe. But these small groups are intended to be a place where you can exercise your grace, the, the grace given to you, the gifts that God gave you to people in those small groups. We're kind of sneaky about how we um, get people into those small groups, too, if you've ever noticed. We don't have it on the website. Our small groups aren't listed there. Our small groups aren't in the bulletin. We don't announce a list of them and put them up on the screen for you to check out, talk to these people, call this number. We just invite people personally. If you're in a small group, that's kind of what you do, right? You invite people personally. And the only way that's going to happen for you if you're not involved in a small group and you don't know anything about it, is to not bolt out the door at 90 miles an hour when we say amen. That's the only way. You've got to get to know us. But if you're missing small groups in this church, you're missing what the church does. You're really missing it. The world will know us by our love for one another. That's what Jesus said. It's peculiar. The church is an organism of nourishment and purpose. In James 5.16 he says, therefore, confess your sins to one another and pray for one another, just uh, that you may be healed. The prayer of a righteous person has great power and it's working. An organization versus an organism. The difference between 
really between the two, is if the church is just an organization, and a lot of us are treating it that way, and we need to repent, it's kind of this thing that maybe you're even teaching a Sunday school, or you're, maybe you're even involved in a, in a small group, or you're, you're coming to church here on Sundays, and the reason you come is because you're going to get a little something for you, right? And then you're going to kind of march out and say, wow, I just feel so good that I've been part of the church. An organization is sort of set up for you to get whatever you need and then leave. But an organism is, this organism of the church is is about what Jesus wants you to do. You're, You're here to please him, not to please you. It's to please him, to function in the body, to look and see, right? All the body parts have different purposes. White cells go around looking for diseases, right? You got red cells that, that deliver uh, vital oxygen to all of, your, all of your body's cells. And so every one of them has a, has a purpose, has, has a particular thing that they do. What is it that you do? How do you nourish this body? Well, get involved in a small group. Begin praying with us. Begin seeking that out. Number four, and finally, the, probably the greatest, I think, of these simple fundamentals of the church is our grand purpose, the church's grand purpose, and that is to display the greatness of God until he returns. See, we're not just built to survive. We're not just sub- sort of under the the torrent and the trials of this world pouring down on us, and we kind of huddle together, and we're like, man, I hope we make it through the storm. This one sounds bad, right? No, the church is built to win. We're winners. We're winners. Jesus is our captain, and we cannot fail. We can't fail. Anybody ever seen a Ferrari in person? Up close? Yeah? I've seen a couple in person kind of parked on the side of the road. I imagine that the reason people buy those cars is not to keep up in traffic with my 2003 Buick Rendezvous, right? The the purpose of those cars is not to sort of commute, you know, to sort of be one of the crowd. You know, I'm, I'm sure that the people who buy them also don't take most pleasure in parking it in their garage and staring at it every day. No, you buy that car to show every other driver on the road what $300,000 can do, Right? You're all about it. In fact, you forget something or you need to run to the grocery store, you're on it in about five seconds, right? Because that's what that car was built for. But a lot of us treat the church like a jalopy when the church is the best thing on the road. It's the best thing. It's not another self-help group or a place for you to come and make friends or to feel good about yourself, to park in the garage here in this, this building and come in every once in a while and look around and then leave and do nothing with it. You get fresh spiritual meat in your body on Monday to go out and display the glory of God because you've been energized, you've been nourished by what? By the church, by the church of Jesus Christ. This church functions in that way. Matthew 16, Jesus came and said to them, all authority on heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all things that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. You can't get a better promise than that. He says the gates of hell shall not prevail against us. If 
we follow him. What an implication. What a powerful truth. When the early church began to suffer persecution, in Acts 4, they begin to pray, and they pray this. And now, O Lord, look upon their threats and grant your servants to continue to speak the word in all boldness. While you stretch out your hand and heal and, uh, with, and heal and signs and wonders are performed through the name of your holy servant, Jesus. And when they had prayed, the place in which they were gathered together was shaken. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit to continue to speak the word with boldness. Is that, is that really what you get stirred up to do after you come to church? To go out and speak the word with boldness? 1 Peter 2, 9. But, if, but you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Mark, Mike Shirley and I were on campus preaching one time, and, and apparently someone that went to this church, we're not even really sure who it was, <clears throat> They never came and made themselves known. But it was this lady who came by and saw us preaching, and, and uh, apparently she attends here. And um, she went to Dawn, and she wrote a check, I don't know, for 200 or $250 for Mike and I. We never asked for money. You know, how much does it cost to go out and preach? You know? But she gave us $200 because God had compelled her to do that. The Lord had compelled her to do that. Nobody asked her to do that. But she was compelled to do that. She saw the spreading of the word of God, and she said, I want a piece of that. I want to give to that. I want to give sacrificially to that. Many of you give. Many of you support different missionaries around the world. Some of you are supporting David and Kristen in Germany. Some of you are supporting Jeff and Sheila Brown in Jackson. Some of you support the, Rose, the Roses in Mexico. Why do you do that? Because your heart is set on where God is going. You love to see the gospel proclaimed in places that have never heard it. That's on your heart. Many of you spend hours in prayer for these ministries. And that brings great nourishment to the body. Many of you do that. That's why we're here, isn't it? Isn't that why we have small groups? Isn't that why when you see another believer from LVC in Walmart, you say, wow, man, I love that person. You go up there and talk to him. You're trying to avoid him, you know, man, Walmart, you know. No, you want to talk to them. You want to see how they're doing. You love them. When you're involved in your small group, you, you, en you enjoy being there because it's not about you, right? It's not all me, me, me. You go to your small group and you enjoy that because that's where you get to love and be loved. It's just something you want. You see? It's something you want. Why? Because you want Jesus. you say you love Jesus, guess what? You love the church. If you say you're devoted to Jesus, you're devoted to the church. If you say that you submit to Jesus, then you submit to the leadership of this church. And if you have a personal relationship with Jesus, then you have a personal relationship with this church. If you don't have a personal relationship with this church and you have no desire to have a personal relationship with the church, I give you permission to question whether or not you have a personal relationship with Jesus Christ because Jesus wants you to have a personal relationship with the church. And he would tell you that. 1 Corinthians 3, 9 through 12, for we are all God's fellow workers 
You are God's field, God's building according to the grace of God given to me like a skilled master builder. I laid a foundation. Someone else is building upon it. Let each one take care how he builds on it. Can you imagine a battle nurse? I envision a battle nurse in World War II and they used to get behind the enemy line or get behind the, the, the lines of the, of the battle and they'd, they'd bring those soldiers in who'd been shot or wounded and they'd, they'd minister to them. They'd try to, they'd try to keep them alive or, or get them healed up so they can go back out and fight. And one day a nurse says, you know, I'm not feeling it at the hospital anymore. I've been going for a while and I don't know, everybody's just me, me, me there. Wow. You know, I need some pain and stuff. Right? That's not a nurse. Right? Why is she doing that? Because she loves the soldiers and she loves the cause. If you love this church and you love the cause, then you're going to want to be among us. If you're missing that desire, then you're missing the grand purpose of this church. Can you think of anything worth investing in that's greater than this place? Think about that. A lot of people are putting their heart and soul into their retirement or their heart and soul into a marriage or a profession or a career or an image, or friends, or whatever. All that stuff's going away. It's all going to go away. The only thing that transfers to glory is the church. The only thing that counts for anything is ministering here with us. Think about it. If you're going to invest in anything with everything that's in your heart, this is the only guarantee of a return. The only guarantee. In fact, Jesus says, If you want to follow me, then you have to deny yourself, take up your cross, and follow me. How do you do that? Right here in this church, in this assembly. This is it. We have to focus in that way. This is a corporate war zone. As a believer, this is is your home away from home. But it's also a war machine. When you pray, that's like dropping artillery on the enemy. When you love and you nourish one another, that is, that is what shows the world what Jesus is, that you're a follower of that Jesus. Why? Because you, you love people without any reason to personally. And how do you do that? By the power of the Spirit of God. That's how we do it. Believer, you're home. You're home. If you're on the fence and you're you love the Lord and you've been coming to this church, you've enjoyed the word. Come. Come enjoy what God has to offer here. Come meet us. Get to know us. We'll introduce you to some small group leaders. We'll, we offer the morning study to anybody who wants to know the word of God. They go through the whole Bible in really less than a year. They just follow the semester of the University of Wyoming. Next fall, we're starting it up again, Lord willing. And many people have invested in that. It costs money. But if you don't have any money, we'll let you go through it anyways. But we invite you to invest in that because that is vital. That is vital. Come get nourished. Come be real. Come. Get to know some folks. When I pray and I say amen, don't bolt out of here. Please stay. Please. Stay 15 minutes. And if nobody comes and talks to you, then you can leave and then come back and stay 15 minutes again. Give us a little mercy. We're not perfect. We want to get to know you. We want you to be involved. If you're an unbeliever, 
When will you turn to the gracious God of heaven? Jesus came down, God very God, and lived a perfect life. He didn't sin at all, yet he took all the wrath for all sin on the cross. My friend, if you die in your sins, then you will face Jesus as your judge, and he will say, depart from me. And he will have you cast into the lake of fire, and you will burn and scream and gnash your teeth for all eternity. That is true. You have a sin-sick heart. Your heart is bent on self-fulfillment. It's bent on, well, what am I going to get out of this? There may be people who have been involved in this church for a long time, and your sole motivation for being here is, what am I going to get out of it? Come. Come to the Lord. He's the great physician. He can heal your heart. He can make you clean. He can cause you to walk in his ways. He can put his spirit within you and take out the heart of stone and put in a heart of flesh. And that heart is going to beat for Jesus Christ, and that heart will beat for this church. It will. And if you're a believer and you've just been on the fence, please, please come. The church is built by Jesus Christ. The church is composed of born-again believers. She is an organism, not an organization. And her grand purpose is to display the ministry of Jesus Christ until he comes. And we purify ourselves as he is pure and hopeful expectation that when he comes, we'll be like him. We'll say, oh Jesus, I'm so happy you're back. All of us together. All of us together. Let's pray. Lord, your church is sacred. It's sacred to you. One day, you will call the bride to yourself, adorned in white, brilliant, Lord, by her acts of, her acts of righteousness, which you have empowered us to do. This is the church. And as believers, God, I pray that you would stir us up to invest more into this body, Lord, to pour our hearts into it, Lord. This is the only hope for our nation. And we are not afraid of politicians. We are not afraid of anyone. We only fear you. We only hold you in reverence, God. We want to hear from you. Well done, good and faithful servant. You did what I called you to do. Give us understanding, Father. Give us understanding to know how to serve, what we can do in this body to display your great glory. In Jesus' name, amen.